Hello, lovely people. How are you doing? I hope you're good and have been holding on tight in the recent windy weather. Well, get ready to hold on tight now for a story of enormous inspiration. Mel Sherritt grew up in Stoke and never believed she would ever be an author, even though she loved escaping into books. She worked as a housing officer and saw real life in a way she'd never forget and would later inspire the storylines in her books. After years of submitting to agents hoping to get a traditional publishing deal, Mel decided to do it herself and publish her own books. After the first year, she had sold more than 200,000 books. Agents came to her and she had the book deal she'd always wanted. Mel's books have now sold more than, wait for it, 1.8 million copies. She writes crime books under her name and women's fiction under the pen name Marcy Still. She has had book deals with Thomas Mercer, Bookature and Avon. But now, in another next chapter, Mel has decided to publish her latest book, Broken Promises, by herself again, using everything she has learned during her years in the traditional world. Mel's story helped me press publish. Everything I have done in the last year with my own books, I have modelled on how Mel did it. When I got in touch with her to tell her this, well, she was kind, thoughtful and so supportive. And it is such an honour to have her here as my guest now. Mel is honest and open in this interview. We discuss how she can write crime scenes even though she doesn't really like blood. There are not many days as I write my books I don't think about Mel and everything she's done and I really hope her story will now help you too. Hello and welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak with incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter. Or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Mel Sherratt. Mel Sherratt, welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. I am beyond thrilled. I am delighted to have you with me. Thank you so much for doing this. That's a wonderful introduction. Hello, Ali. Very pleased to see you as well. Well, you're a wonderful person. So it's very easy to do an introduction like that. Okay, so Mel, as ever, we're going to start with your prologue. Now, you have grown up in Stoke-on-Trent. You're in Stoke-on-Trent now, so it's sort of very, very close to your heart. Now, you describe your upbringing, and I love this, a working class with a twist. <laughs> yes, um, as I don't know if people know Stoke-on-Trent, it's quite a unique city. We have um, six towns within our city and we were only made it um, a city within, I think, 100 years back. But um, people live directly in those six places and we live and we work in those direct, in those six places. So I could, for instance, live in um, at Trent, at uh, Longton, which is one of them, and never ever go to Fenton, which is which is another one. And uh, my family would be there, my workplace would be there, people would work, walk to work, and, and things like that. And it's a very very, uh, like I say, working class city. We were we were at the potteries, but also I just feel it's we're not very glamorous, but we're a city with a big big heart. And if ever you come to Stoke, you'll always find somebody who will sit and talk to you, no matter where you are. They'll even you know they'll talk to you on the bus stop or or whatever walking past they'll just make a conversation and I still funny enough do that when I go to London and people do talk to me must think I'm, oh she must come from Stoke because she's talking to everybody so yeah my working class background is very much um I was um I suppose I was always a child who was interested in writing but being 
being born and, and bred in Stoke, we were sort of led to believe that you didn't really go to university much. You went straight into a job, which is what I, I did. So any job that I wanted to do um, in writing was always been in, in London. And you know, most Stokies will not move to London. They will just try and do something in the in the home city. There was only the Sentinel at the time, which is still there now, and I always wanted to to work for them. But I, um, because I was working class, um, I never really felt like I could do anything out, out of my city. Um, going back to my working class roots though, yeah, when I was nine, my mum and dad divorced. And it was a really, really traumatic time for, for me as quite an insular child anyway. I'd always got my nose in a book at that time. Um, and my mum was always a worker. My dad unofficially retired at 32 and he was just an alcoholic. He was uh, not being nice to my mum and I think that's where I get my roots for domestic violence from because I never saw anything, but I obviously had a feel for it and I knew what was happening perhaps, but I blocked it out as a child. I genuinely can't remember seeing any of it. So my working class roots are very much my mum showed me that work was the way to go. And my dad just didn't, he wasn't interested in work. He, I know the last job he had, he went in to um, work in the morning, went to lunch, went to the pub and never went back and got sacked. Um, so my childhood was very much, um, I never felt like I belonged anywhere because my mum and dad split up. But there's, you know, I can't ever say my mum was wonderful. But as a child, I felt abandoned by my father. So I think that plays a big, big role in my books as well. Um, and being, you know, be, you know, being working class, she put me then put them roots into me that I needed to go out and work and be independent. Mm. So um, that is my little bit of working class with a twist. With a twist, absolutely. Well, thank you for 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 sharing that because thank you for being so honest about it as well. And are you an only child, Mel? No, I'm not. I have a brother who's ten years younger than me, but he, my mum, remarried. I was quite happy with that one actually. Um, uh, yes, I'm. And my brother's ten years younger than me. And do they live near you now? Um, yes, they live in the same city. We all live in Stoke still. So yeah, he's a few miles away. And is your dad still around? No, my dad died when he was uh, well. He was seventy-two a few years back, but I never really saw him. Um, I saw him as a child. I think, like I said, I was talking to you about. I was between the ages of eleven and sixteen. I wanted to go and live with my dad. Then I wanted to live with my mum, live with my dad. And I did. I eventually, my mum sort of said, "Go and go and live with your dad for a bit." And I certainly went back. It was awful. He was literally just just in the pub all the time. I would come in and my, you know, I would I would have a dinner, which would be um, a pie bought from the shop. It's in the oven. We're in the pub. Him and, him and his new wife. Um, he'd wake me up, which is one of the, the things in one of the books, funnily enough, the book I've been reading at the moment, Follow the Leader, um, where he woke, woke me up uh, lots of times, half past one in the morning when he'd been to the pub and uh, played Elvis Presley music loud, woke, woke everybody up, that type of thing, and you know, dragged me out of bed. He never actually ill-treated me, but he um, he wasn't a very nice person. He was always out for a fight when he when he had a drink. Um, so yeah, I can't remember the question now. Ali. No, well, no, well, you speak so, so well. Sorry. Your story is is much more interesting than my question. But but the, I suppose the point is here is so you. I mean, you like you're saying then you you loved your books, but you um you know that was a big thing for you to be going through then, and you would have I'm sure now as time's gone you can sort of understand things a little bit more. But at that age, you had no idea what was going on did you so I suppose the fact that then you would perhaps read books that perhaps gave you a little bit of a safety net to go into yes I think it did I think I used to escape in books I, I mean I still do now especially for the pandemic you know that was a big example um and I've always always wanted to write write books from from that from that little age of I, I'm a, my mum's friend when we moved house 
um, she came around and she had a look and I said, this is my study. And she says, I can remember you as an eight-year-old child and I asked you what you wanted to do. And you said you were going to go, go and write books when you when you grew up. And I genuinely never thought I'd do it. I, you know, such, I've got such a, a history of rejection anyway that I never actually thought I'd get there full stop. But yeah, I've always, I think, hidden, you know, hidden, got, got what am I trying to say? I'm always trying to, um, I've lost that question, Ali. That's how we edit that a bit don't you worry we don't need to edit that is that it this is all part of the fun of it but yeah so you <laughs> you um you always loved going into the book so you never thought you although you wanted to be a writer you never thought you would be a writer at that stage yes and I, I, I didn't I, I don't think I used to always sit and write I used to have essay books from school and I used to write stories in those but I never actually thought I would be published I always thought you had to live in London to be published or I never thought a working class author would be able to get there um, so it was, um, yeah, it was a real long journey, but I just wanted to persevere and, and you know, go to go for my dream. Yeah, well, we'll be coming on to that because you absolutely <laughs> did. And at school, you said you loved writing. You were, Now, this sort of doesn't surprise me. You say you were always being told off for talking. <laughs> Isn't every writer, you know, when you talk to them, they just chat, 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 chat. Yeah, I, I, I pulled out one of my school reports and it just said if she concentrated much more she would learn much more because she's always chatting but when I was 12 I, I won a writing competition and I had to um, write a story about um, a piece of land that was going to be turned into whatever you wanted it to be turned into that was the whole idea from it it was like it was Waldorf letter writing which I think Waldorf was a stationery at the time and I was only, like I said I was only 12 I was in junior school and I um, was living near to a place where if you just jumped over the back of my wall, there was a big uh, plot of land that was going to be turned into a YMCA. And at the time it was just a big field. So that was my um, my goal to make this 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 piece of land into something. And I had it, I had an adventure park. And I, I, the only thing I can really remember it now was if you looked at from above, you would see a sandpit in the shape of a crocodile. <laughs> so that was the sort of thing that I had. And I um, got shortlisted out of 60,000 people to 20. And I, yeah, and it was one thing I was, um, I was awarded um, a plaque, a Wedgwood plaque by the Staffordshire County Council. And I've never ever won a thing since. And that was, so my, that was my first foray into writing when I was 12. But what, um, a, what a start. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, I met Valerie Singleton wow. uh, from Blue Peter. Yeah, I had, I, I, well, part of it, funny enough, Ali, was a week, um, an adventure, uh, an adventure park. And if you know me, I do not like water, I do not like swimming. And I think I got more fear because they made me roll over in a canoe and you have to get out. And I was the only one who couldn't do it and I had to be pulled out. So I think my fear of swimming has come from and that. That was, oh, that was the prize. That was the prize. Yeah. Oh. That was the prize, oh, yeah. Damn. Abseiling and canoeing and all sorts of things. And it was, it was great fun and it was for, for a week me and I took a friend with me um, and then I had to write a letter uh, I had to write a, an essay about that and the 20 finalists but I didn't win that bit so oh, you did very well if you thought that if you like if it's a writing competition why did they take you on a big you know they should have given you a, a load of books to read that was an unusual yeah, prize I think it was just kids the best thing about it was a disco yeah, yeah, <laughs> scoop, scoop the disco at the end of the week oh, that's yeah. great Love a disco, love a disco. So yes, yeah, so you, um, but so you did always want to be an author, but you never thought that you'd be, be able to do it. So you, you left school, you went to college for a couple of months, but you said you hated it, so you left. Oh yes, I went to college to be a nurse, oh, okay. and I, yeah, I was there for eight weeks. I had to go and work into work in an old folks' home. I was part of that, like the, the day release that we went on, and I absolutely hated. it. I just couldn't couldn't gel with it whatsoever. Um, and I knew that 
I couldn't stand the sight of blood really. It was just too much. It was just, and I think to be honest, if you want to be a nurse, you don't go to a nursing home. We would have been better on a, on a, on a ward or, or something, but obviously you couldn't, couldn't do that perhaps then. And so yeah, I lasted eight weeks on that and I went on to what we used to call the, in my day, is a YTS, a youth training scheme. And I learned the best thing I ever did actually, I learned how to touch type, mm. which was something that, well, I, you know, you never forget. Um, and yeah, I um, ended up then just going into, into work then and I started to work as, um, the one thing about being in a working class city is there isn't many job opportunities. So sometimes you don't have a, have a career, you have a job. So the only job that you get is the one that's in the local newspaper. Mm. So I started then, um, which I had a great job actually for nine years as a tally on a um building society so i was paying people money out and and, and and doing loans and mortgages and things like that um before i went to work for the city council and did you so going back because i actually had a saturday job as, <laughs> as, as as a build in the building society and I, loved, ah! I and i loved that job i mean i only did it for i wasn't very good at it if i'm totally honest i did it for three hours but it was really well paid and um you know so much you got paid for three hours what my friends were pay, getting paid for a whole day to be honest i think it was the best i've ever been paid <laughs> Yeah, we, we were, I was at the stage where the, the pay wasn't very good, but we had a reduced rate in the mortgage and it was excellent. Right. So, and then when the pay started to go up accordingly, because it was quite a low paid job at the time, and then the mortgage rate, you know, the mortgage rate stayed the same, it was even better. But then I suppose with all things, it changed, everything started to become sales. Can you sell this? Can you sell this? Can you sell this? And I wasn't into the sales pushy things like that. I, I could do them if I wanted to, but I just not with the same people that you saw every week. And you'd build up a rapport with. I just didn't didn't want it, so I felt really uncomfortable. So so I left then, and yeah, went work for the city council then. Um, yes. Well, that leads us nicely because we're still in. <laughs> very well done there, Mel. Because we're still in your first chapter. So this is where you went. Um, you first of all, you got a job as an admin assistant. But then through an internal vacancy, you became a housing officer. And this this is really important because actually it was quite an experience. But it's when we go on to talk about your books, this you, you learned an awful lot here, didn't you? Yes, I did. I actually started off in pest control as an admin assistant. So well, I don't know about rats, mice and wasps, Ali. Ah, <laughs> we're coming your I way. It was, and I still, still know it now. But yeah, so actually I wanted... Going back to what I was saying before, I, I wanted a job on the city council because obviously it was, you know, it was a good pension and all sorts of things like that, boast at the stable for a working class girl. So um, I was trawling the newspaper every week, found this position, got on there, and then knew I could start applying for something else because you only had to apply for internal vacancies. So when the housing officer job came up, I, I managed to get that and I was there for eight years. And it's based on the estate that I have an estate series set on. Um, because it really did show me how communities work together, communities don't work together, how people who've been knocked down so low can get back up again with a bit of guidance or a bit of help from friends or neighbours, how people can turn a whole street against themselves and then never get back. It was just phenomenal and it showed me um, I always root for the underdog now, <clears throat> excuse me, I root for people who I know have got something but are not showing it and, and maybe going the wrong way about things and, and maybe could with, with a bit of guidance go a different way. It really did show me um, a, a lot of things. I was frightened a lot of times. I must admit there was a fair few times when I come out of the house and wondered why I'd ever been in there. And um, 
but a lot of the time it was just really really nice calls they were genuinely nice people and a lot of the time i would do a bit of mediation between one family and another and things would be sorted out sometimes we would have to move families out sometimes i would sit like i said in some of my books and cry with women of domestic have been abused by people and, and domestic violence victims knowing that i'm showing them into a house that i won't be coming back to next week because they've gone back to the partner because they're so scared on their own or they've been, been dragged away by him again it was a, a real real eye-opener mm. so your job forgive my ignorance here as a housing officer was to place people was it so you were so you would you would understand what was going on in their lives because you I mean really you were finding them a home but you kind of knew their backstory as well yeah what we would do is we would start with i would have a patch say about 400 houses, houses and i would deal with every single thing on that patch so as part of it what i would do deal with new tenants so i would show them the empty property show them around it show them tell them about the area and things like that and then i would do a new tenancy support call for two or three times and, and and settle them in there so that was a big part of the job and then actually making sure that they moved in because a lot of them didn't because they wanted ben to claim benefits from two separate properties we had to start the eviction procedure again and get somebody somebody out but yeah i sort of had to learn the patch and you know there's nothing better than having to walk around another one of what parts of the jobs was i had to check do street checks so i had to check see if everybody's gardens were tidy and if there's any abandoned cars if there was caravans parked there graffiti and go back and do all that so the the sort of like the intel which i call it the intelligence i used to get from anybody who i used to know we used to have tea stops where we used to go and talk to the old ladies. Yeah, yeah, is there anything, anything going on the street? And they'd sit and tell you everything. So it was just so you get all, clean all this information. And I thought, so when I thought of writing a police procedural, um, that was the element that I wanted to take on board as a, as a detective sergeant, being hands on with the people on the estate. I could easily pick that up and run with that. But it, it was a great job. It was really good, but it was quite frustrating at times when people wouldn't do what you wanted to, wanted them to do, and you had to go further than you really wanted to. But it was, you know, it was also, you know, you had to toe the you you made them toe the line, but you also had a lot of leniency. You could tell them if you thought, okay, I'll give you another two or three weeks, give you another four weeks. If you're not doing it, then you know, you're taking the wet out of me. You know, I'll, I'll serve you with a notice and start that. But to start to put things into perspective, if we did evict anybody, it would take at least 18 months. Right. So it isn't a case of we go in and say, right, you know, you're not doing this or you're not paying your rent, we will evict you. We had to give them chance after chance after chance. And every case that I went out on, I had to write up as if it was going to court. Right. So as if we did eventually go to court. So we tried the hardest to keep people in the properties. Mm. That was a tough job. I mean, to do have to do things like that to people when they're vulnerable but in a terrible state. I mean, that was tough for you, I can imagine. Oh, definitely. I mean, we I've evicted people where you know they've not just not paid the rent and and they just they just buried their head in the sand when they could have actually gone and filled forms in and got the and got the rent reassorted. We've been, I walked into somebody's house where they literally there's a cup of tea. And biscuits because we break it we have to break in the house we take the police with us and we take you know we take a, a joiner with us and we get in if, if they aren't there and we change the locks and you'll walk in and it's as if they've just been had the breakfast and they're coming back and and they have no idea or they just they just think we're not going to do it or it's, it's such a really weird feeling as well because then we have to have to liaise with the tenant to get the things out and it's heartbreaking when they come there at the end of the day and realize that you know you can't get back in your own house mm. 
grab some bags and then we'll give you 28 days to clear the, clear the property. But these things, some, most of them could have been stopped. And that is the most frustrating thing for you. I had one family who, who were grieving and they just couldn't deal with it. And it was just, well, if you don't do something, you, you got, and we evicted them and it's just, it's heartbreaking. So a lot of that was like, you felt like you failed then. Mm. You really did, and, mm. but you could only do so much. Mm. And did you ever know any of the families, given that Stoke is such a close-knit community? Did you ever know them personally? Yes, because I went to school there. Ah, <laughs> there you go. I went to high school at Mistake, so I'd knock on people's doors. Oh, hello. Hiya. <laughs> it's just like, and I've had, so, but I've never had any problems with anybody, I must admit, because I, I obviously it was fine at school. But uh, but yeah, it was it was quite funny. I was I'd knock on somebody's doors. Oh, I know you from school. Get your garden sorted. Come on, I'll give yeah. you next two two weeks sort of thing. Wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. But, but no, I um, very rarely saw people because obviously uh, they must have been good people I went to school with. So. Yeah. I'm realising that you really are quite the woman to know. Not only do you know about rats and pests, but you know how to get rid of disused cars, keep gardens tidy. You're the woman yes, now. Yeah, it's brilliant. So all this time, though, all in the background, you were still wanting to be an author. And you were writing by now because you started in your teens. And what were you writing? Um, at the time, I was writing women's fiction, which is... Um, I started off writing uh, short stories, but I didn't get any of them published, and that was probably like early 20s. And I would have a time where, if I was happy in a job, I wouldn't write as much. And then if I was getting unhappy in a job, I would start writing again. So there was a pattern of sometimes for in my 20s, um, I was just like writing for a few months and then not writing for a couple of years and then writing again. And it was like, it was 1999 when I actually started to think about was it was started well, it was started in housing in 1998 so that's probably why in 1999 i i wrote my first book which was my um pen name marcy Steele, stood with love but um i didn't really do much with it apart from i was trying trying to get an agent for ages but what i was trying to do was to write around a full-time job which is as you know yourself as anybody knows out there it's quite hard to do so i was literally with working for the city council we we could um we work, could work extra hours and have flexi days so i would save up save up eight hours and have a flexi day off and i would write all day and i would write at weekends i would do an hour in the mornings before i went to work an hour at night time never never why i was at work i just couldn't couldn't do it then um, and then if I had, you know, a week off, I would probably be, if I wasn't going away, I'd be, I'd be writing because it was the only time I could fit it in and, and try and learn, learn the craft as well, re reading, reading books. Mm. And had you met your husband by this stage? Um, I'd, I mean, I've been married twice, so I'm trying to think now. Um, 1995, 93, uh, yes, I had, yeah. Actually, I got married in 1999. So I really it's all going that. on in 1999, <laughs> Mel. Yeah, I, I met him in Okay. Um, and then yes, yeah, so I started writing my first one in 1999. Because I, 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 the reason I asked that as well, because if you're busy doing a full time job, and then you're doing the writing, it, you, you know, I think it's sometimes hard for people around you to understand what what you're doing yeah. because it's because it's very time consuming writing. So you need mm. to have people around you who really understand because otherwise it's like, God, what do they keep doing, you know, and why do you keep doing that? But especially then when you didn't know that you were going to be an author, you were just we well, wanted to be but you were just writing and what you, you felt was right for you to do yeah I think 
I think sometimes as well it's a personal challenge because you need to feel like you want to get to the end of that book and see if you can actually write your first book because I think your first book take, can take years and years and years, can't it? It can take six months, it can take years, but um, it's having that actual belief. And yet I did sometimes not go out as much as I, I wanted to, but I just felt like it was important and uh, I have a really understanding of Ali. Uh, Chris, he's um, more understanding now because he's been doing this for so many years. I think he, he lives the books with me. Um, but I genuinely can't remember what it was like like back then, obviously, because it was a long time ago. But I, I, I just tried to fit it in as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because you, you wanted to do it as well. So you really mm. did want to do it. So when did you start sending it off to agents? I sent it off to agents in 1999 and I got accepted. Again, 1999? Yeah, as soon as I'd written the book, that was it, I was I was there, uh, which probably isn't a good idea, but um, you don't know whether it's any good or not when you've written the first one, do you? So um, I uh, got my first agent in 2006, so that was seven years. Wow, seven years. Yeah, that was my first of three. Okay, so, so, you, so you did your first book, and it mm-hmm. got rejected, and then I—I um, I mean, I hate using that word, but it's—it's it's what we say, isn't it? And then you, so then you wrote another book. Um, yes, I started writing um, the estate series after that one. I wrote *Stupid Love*, put it to one side, and because I got my housing officer background, and I was watching a series called *Shameless*. I absolutely love Shameless. I just thought, you know, people if people are watching this and enjoying it so much, why don't I write a book about it? Because I could combine the women's fiction and the dark side of the crime and, and do that. So I wrote a book called Somewhere to Hide. And I wrote actually three, uh, Somewhere to Hide, Behind a Closed Door and Fighting for Survival. And in the meantime, they ate the first agent, uh, Look at Stay With Love, so for a time, the first agent um, had, I think she had the book for about two or three years, did sort of five or six rewrites with it, and then decided to retire. And I was mortified and oh. didn't write for a year because I genuinely thought it was me. And then after that was when I started to write um, the, the estate series and got my second agent through that. So, so yeah, I literally, before I published any, I'd written five books. Right. So you, so you were, but this is the point. So you, again, this goes down to your you know we saw that this grit that you had that you showed in your being a housing officer so but you're writing sending them off getting mm-hmm. these rejection letters yeah, back all the time and and i mean i know but how <laughs> i mean i know really well <laughs> um but how did you feel you know when they used to come in i mean how did that feel uh, the rejection was horrendous it's one of the the, the awful things about publishing because you either get rejected or you don't get answers Mm. And and you can just have this blank silence that you think, is it good enough? Did it even get there? Have they read it? Have they not? And it knocks at your confidence all the time. And then you know, sometimes I mean, I, I and all, always was when a rejection came through, you always used to come on a Saturday morning, or you know, <laughs> it was like, oh my God, there's the you know, there's the post. So you would come again another week, and it would take me a few days before I pick myself up again and just think, no, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to do this. This is mm. you know, this is. This is just one opinion. Well, I, I mean, I've got, um, I kept, I've got 43 letters that I actually take out on author talks with me and just fan them out and say, these are all my my rejections. These are probably the nicer ones. You know, the people that have rejected, have answered, answered. But I think way back then as well, there wasn't as much information on agents as there was as there is now. And, and there isn't as much chance to network with them as there is now. I only had the Writers and Artists Year book, which I would literally grab every year when it came out. 
I don't probably say this, but I used to circle the ones in pen, <laughs> the, the agents that I wanted to go to. And then I thought, oh, I've tried that one last year. I can't go to that one. Oh, here's a new one. What they all used to say was they, they write fiction. So you genuinely didn't know whether they wanted your type of writing anyway. Whereas nowadays, agents are so vocal on, on, on social media that they can put a call out and say, I'm after a commercial women's fiction book with, with a high concept. Mm-hmm. And and you can you can pitch you know to to that that editor, that agent direct. Whereas before, when it was snail mail, and I used to, used to have to post out the three chapters and wait for them to come back or, or you know whatever, it was probably quite hard to actually to even think that you are you are pitching the right agent. So I can understand why a lot of them came back. And also the writing probably wasn't up to scratch then. But you have to have a seed to start somebody off, whether your writing is you know, good or not, because everybody has a first book to start off with. Yeah, and you just don't know, do you? And yeah. God, though, to get those letters on a Saturday, there was no disco for you that night. I mean, that, that's rubbish <laughs> they would come out. Oh, awful. And another thing, I was always asked for a full manuscript. What I had to print out myself oh yeah and then send it off and it would go like i always had it look like special delivery because then you had to have a postage back so the postman would not move on saturday morning with that little thing or clunk it on the door oh god when i'm lying at bed thinking oh no another one's come back and yet you used to upset me yeah i just thought you know i'm just gonna carry on i don't know i don't know really how i had the tenacity to keep carrying on and I think you just do. It's just yeah. I think you just because you want to do it so much. And I, I mean, I've also interviewed, and I know you know her, the the fabulous Angie Marsons. And I mean, we'll go on to this because both of you, how your stories have just helped yes. me so much. So in a way, Mel, while it was really tough for you at the time, somewhere along the gut, <laughs> there was a girl that you were gonna like. You've just like helped me so much. So just know it was that that thud was all worth it. It really was. <laughs> So, so yeah. So eventually, you so you said you had two agents, mm-hmm. um, but then so nothing didn't. You really wanted a traditional book deal. This didn't happen. And then, and they say, forgive me if I got this wrong. You were you did you take redundancy or you you from your housing officer job? You had a year. You gave yourself a year to to start publishing your own books. Yeah, I was made redundant in two thousand and ten. I'd done eight years on uh, housing as a housing officer. And then I went to work as a training and development um, policy writer. So I was writing, I was called a business partner. So I was actually pitching for funding for 1400 staff and we were doing a workforce plan, full enough, which wouldn't, which had completely gone out the water now with the pandemic. But we were trying to plan uh, ahead for 1400 staff and adult social care and help and what sort of training they would want in the future and things like that. So I was quite enjoying that job, but that got, um, I got made redundant from that as working for the city council i probably went through about four or five restructures in the 13 years i was there so i i was in the first tranche that weren't being actually at risk and then being put into another job i was literally you can be at risk and go into another job but it's going to be way down your pay level or you can actually take redundancy and 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 go so i just said okay i'll i'll take the redundancy which were people quite shocked at at the time i thought you know what i'm going to sit there for a year now I just started to research the Kindle that year. I'm going to take a year out now to network and get myself out there and write some more books and see what I can do. And if I can't um, do anything at the end of that 12 months when the money's run out, then I have to go back work full time and I'll work around around the job again. Mm. And and that's what I did. And actually, the the salary that I had was probably equivalent to about six nine months salary and I made it last a whole year and I was just getting to the stage where I'm going to have to go back to work because the books aren't selling 
as that's when I self-published on, on Kindle. Right. I mean, this is this is so this is amazing. This is so inspiring. So you so you were finding out about Kindle because Kindle wasn't such a big thing then, was it? No, in, in 2011, um, which was when I was doing all my, my research, was the year that all the indie authors, uh, as we call them, I think came onto the Kindle, the ones who couldn't get, would be rejected as much as I were, I was, and that we were putting all the putting our books out at 99 pence, because at the time, there was 550,000 books on Kindle, there's now 8 million. So there was quite an easy way, after the 12 years of rejection, to get found on Kindle if you wanted to put your books out at a cheap price because the only books that are available on there were at 5 99 and 6 99 and the known authors. So we had that little bit of an edge where we could actually have a bit, bit of a try on there. So I just decided over, over that summer just to um, research and I just researched the top 100 every day, what books were selling, what books weren't selling, what prices they were, the covers they got, the different, different types of genre. And then I just decided to go for it. Amazing. And did you did you just I mean, how did you know what to do? How did you know how to put the book up at that stage? I just learned. I just learned um, the KDP, the Kindle Direct Publishing System is so easy. I mean, it's much easier now than it was 10 years ago. And it was quite I literally learned by, by making a mistake sometimes. Um, you know, I, I I have to hold my hand up and do and say that. But I had a, a friend called T Tally Rowland. She's an author. She publishes under the name of Leah Mercer as well. And she literally, when I got rejected again that summer, just said to me, "You need to get on Kindle." And she just told me how much she was earning, and, and I was thinking, "Oh, I could have a bit of this. Not not a lot of money, but it was really nice. I earned no money whatsoever." Um, and it was just a chance for me to actually, if I got my book selling on Kindle, then maybe a traditional publisher would, would be interested in me because I've already got a bit of an audience. So that's how I started. And I just literally um, followed all the instructions. And it, it is such an easy process. And like I said, yeah, of course, I made, made, made mistakes, I, I, I admit. But um, I think you have to fail sometimes to succeed, don't you, Ali? So it was just easy just to have a go and, and just see. But I did actually put um, my pen name out, Marcy Steele, first before I decided, I dared actually to put Mal Sherrett out. So I thought, I'll have a go at Marcy. If it fails, nobody knows. Nobody knows who she is. Um, and she literally took off. The minute I put her on there, she just literally took off. So that was good. And then I um, self-published later on as, as Mal Sherrett. I mean, before we go on to that, can I just ask this? So what made you have, so what made you pick the name Marcy Steele? So obviously you want to distinguish yourself between the two different genres, but why did you choose the name Marcy Steele? I picked it because it was MS, like Mel Sherritt. So if I wanted to re reply to an email, because nobody knew who I was for three years, I never ever told anybody until I actually came, came out. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was just a case of thanks. I could just put thanks MS, kiss type of thing on your email and things. So I wouldn't sort of get, get waylaid by the two. Um, and Marcy was a name I was just looking through. I have a baby book, uh, book of baby names, and that's 1999 actually as well. I like that one. Ah, um, yeah. And I just went through all the letters. I wanted a one-syllable uh, surname, and then I wanted um, a, a nice name, and I just wanted a nice women's fiction name sort of thing. So Marcy, I don't know, I don't know where the steel came from. I think it was just something that came up. But um, but I, yeah, I ended up being Marcy Steel. I have two more pen names that I've thought of if I decide to do anything in the future as well but a secret you're not going to tell us yeah i think you chose <laughs> steel. i think you chose steel because you're a woman of steel 
wow this is it there you go i'll, yeah. I'll take that Ali. <laughs> sorting everybody out in the housing estates <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, so you, you, you published, so you published, I mean, and so this is where, so I heard your story, uh, well, I've heard it several times, but first of all, I heard it on the bestseller experiment and we've had, uh, you know, the, the brilliant Mark DeVoe on, on my podcast explaining about this. And so you do have them to blame for me start to stalk you a little bit, <laughs> Mel, I do apologise. But I heard this because I, you know, I was in the midst of my rejection. So you spoke really honestly about what you did. And I had never heard anyone do this. I'd never heard anyone speak quite like it, like you know you've been through at this stage I had three books um and you feel uh I know how I felt um and still do a bit that you feel a bit stupid really because you're not getting the validation of the traditional publishing world and you want sort of acceptance and you just and hang on if they're saying I'm not very good then I'm not very good so why should I put it out so it's you know it's it's a very um to make that step I know exactly what that feels like and you but you did it um, and you did it over here. I mean, within three months, is it your taunting the dead sold mm. fifty thousand copies? It was an incredible few months. Oh my goodness! And me. also, that was that was the book that was at the time. That was my second of my three agents. She was taken out, and it was being rejected by traditional publishers. They'd actually rejected the estate series because it was too cross genre between women's fiction and crime, which I can understand. And then, yet when I did a police procedural for them, they want it was too close to Martina Cole or too close to um, Linda Laplante or any other police procedural author that they'd got there. I, I, I genuinely think it was a no. They didn't. They didn't want the book. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. So I just said, said to my age at the time, "I'm going to try it myself. I have to try it now." My it was it was the eighth of December that I put the book out, and I knew that nearly everybody was having a Kindle under the under the Christmas tree that year because it was just the thing that was the, the big thing, big gadget at the time. And I knew I wanted to hit it hit it then. And she wasn't happy at the time, but she goes, she just says, "You know, okay, if that's what you want to do, you know, you, you go go for that." And I don't know whether it was because I've been blogging for four years and I had a, um, a blog called High Heels and Book Deals and I was interviewing authors and networking with a lot of the editors and the the authors, um, sorry, the, the publicists and reviewing a lot more of their books on the on the website. So I had quite a good audience and I put a bit of my story on there about that being rejected again. Oh, I'm going to an acquisition meeting, being rejected again. And I think because I just decided on the 8th of February, 8th of December and I just put a blog post out and just said, you know what? I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to put this book out for 99 pence. I think this is a chance that I have to take and I'm going to go for it. And I got obviously quite a few retweets and everything because social media, Twitter was a lovely place to be in 2010, not like it is nowadays. And I had a lot of uh, people just, just helping me out. And I think I'm sure a few of them authors bought the book as well. Some of them might have been curious to see how, you know, how, why it wouldn't sell or whatever, or I, I genuinely don't know, but within, I think I sold 134 in December and then January and February, it just shot up. And within five weeks, it went into the top 100. And I've, I always remember, you, know, you remember these things, I was in B&Q and I was checking my stats and I oh, I'm number 78, I'm number 78, how can I, and it just literally went up and up and up. So obviously I'd got that email from Amazon, which I, I now know they do send email blasts out when your book starts doing well. And they think, oh, readers, readers are starting to like this. Let's see if more do. And then that's it. It went. I I got to number two in, in the overall charts. Oh my goodness! Um, eventually, yeah. And it was just it was incredible. And I I, I had you know like like the likes of Ian Mankin congratulating me, which was just for a, a working class girl from Stoke was like, oh my god, and fell off my chair. Ian Mankin and Peter James and all sorts of people who just just my heroes were just saying congratulations. And and then so yeah, I I then um, 
quickly um, put the estate series out as well. It's not quickly, but the same year. But so before we go on to that, so get, just going back there when you said you had your blog. So you so what made you start a blog? And also because it's always fascinates me. I still I, I've got my own blog. I still don't know really what one is. But um, but again, what you're saying that 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 was a brave thing to do, wasn't it? Because you this again, you're a housing officer. You that, to do something like that was. I think a very big step, wasn't it? Yeah, because my blog was the four years I was full time working. So right. I was full time working and writing the books and doing, you know, do, doing the blog because the blog was taking about a good 10, 20 hours a week and that was without reading any books. But it was just my way of networking. I got invited to some fantastic places uh, for the book launches and it was just my way of trying to figure out. If I can help them, maybe they can help me. But what networking was for me was learning who the publicists were and then getting to speak to the editor. So by the time my books were coming out, I'd been to Harrogate Crime Festival, which is the big the big festival that I you know that I love and would recommend for any wannabe crime writer because it's just amazing. But at that festival, I met two or three of the editors who'd actually turned down Taunting the Dead, and I met another editor who said I didn't like Taunting the Dead as much because I couldn't couldn't place it but let me read somewhere to hide and now I and she's one of my great friends now that's amazing and, and, and it's one of the, and, you know it's, it's it's a case of you have to have to network so I always blogged from 2008 I had I, I probably I had probably shouldn't say this it's probably still some in the ether somewhere but I had a blog called the I'll play to all thing excellent <laughs> I love it I'm gonna look it up and I don't think it's there but I mean, it could be I, I, I genuinely don't think it is but um I just started blogging about writing on there and then I joined a group of 40 authors called the Novel Racers. Um, and we used to have, have a, all, all of access to the blog. And every Friday, we used to put the word count in. Or oh, we've had some good news here, and we've had some good news there. And I know a lot of them now, which is really nice. And a lot of them are, are published in their own rights as well, which is great. So from that, I, I think I got the, the discipline of, of writing once a week on, on a blog. And then my um, high heels and boot deals was five days a week. I would have certain things on on, on, on each day and I'd, I'd have a, a roundup of the blog on, on and, and blog, different blog posts on Sundays and I would interview an author every week and uh, because it was called High Heels and Book Deals I would interview them it was about their book that was out that week and then a few few questions about writing a few questions about the book and then what's your what's your poison high heels or flats and they'd put me a picture of their fo their favorite shoes on and the reason why and I think that was the reason because it was the most personal thing on the blog that people loved coming back and seeing. Yeah. Um, and I think it just, yeah, I think it snowballed me from there that got, got me into people's people's attention and people people were coming back to that blog all the time. So when I did put my own book out, I think I've got a few eyes on it because of that. And did they know you were doing this at your job when you were still a housing officer? Did they know you were doing that blog? I think so, yeah. I don't think anything was... Because it was all about writing anyway, so there was yeah. nothing um, to do with work. So, yeah. And they so. knew that you were writing. And did people around oh, you... Yeah. Did everyone around you know you were writing? Everybody knew. Every every different department I went to, I would t tell them my story about my books. And then sometimes I'd be going to London to meet an agent and it was, oh, well, best of luck. And then, oh, I had a rejection and, and everything. And I still think a lot of those people didn't think I would ever make it. And, and now it's lovely to actually say, oh, I did. And, you know, and this is what you can do from just that one book I was called Taunting, Taunting the Dead my door opener because it just literally 
opened everything up for me for the past 10 years. It really did. And it goes to show though, doesn't it? So you had like those hundred, I think you said 138 sort of sales, first of all, which that could probably, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's friends and family and maybe some people who are following your blog. But they say this, don't they? The, the smallest of things. And if you've got, like, if you didn't have those, and then that wouldn't have led to the, the, the bit better January and fe February, and then Absolutely. Amazon getting hold of it. So this is the thing. You, everyone has to start at the beginning, don't they? There's no, that's mm. just the way to do it. And that's like that little acorn. Well, it was a very big acorn that you were growing, a very substantial one. But then look at what it, what it then it, where it yes. took you. Yeah, I never, I never thought. I remember to, I was at a, a panel for um, in London Book Fair for Amazon KDP and I was one of the people on there and um, Darren my, my friend um, said to me um, if you wanted to ask yourself if you wanted to say where would you want to be in, a, in another five years time I would actually uh, where would you be and I just said I never ever imagined I would be here in five years time so uh, you know, where I am now so I cannot even say what the next five years are going to be like because it's just been so exciting and just yeah, yeah, you got all them years of rejections, but like having a baby, and you forget all the pain, and you know, you, you embellish what you've got. But I never actually, I never thought, and I never thought it would continue for ten years and, and turn into a business now, which is, is is what it is. But it was just that one book, and it was just that one book that I wanted to write and needed to write, and that that then just snowballed into so many ideas I don't know what I can do with them all oh, but you you did and so so yeah so you're so you did the four books and then so by the end of that year you had sold more than a hundred thousand copies I sold two hundred thousand by then it oh was, my goodness it was literally I because I'd, I'd had such success with Taunting the Dead I then like I said I then um I, I parted with my agent then and just said that you know I, I want to go this way and, and do do this, and then I re-edited the the three estate books that have been turned down and put them out and I did what I what everybody's doing now I suppose I rapid released but didn't realise at the time so I put one book out in June the next book out in October and the next book out in December and I was talking to that audience all the way through which is something that you can't do in traditional traditional world you don't talk to your audience well I got this newsletter Facebook I was on on the blog talking about things on, on, on the blog um, and so yeah it sort of snowballed I actually put fighting for survival which was the fourth book out on December the 28th and people say no don't put a book out over Christmas and I just what people are waiting for it and I want to do why they're you know they're stuffed with the Christmas dinner and they've got that little week in between yeah. and, it literally, and, it, and it literally flew out so by the end of that year in December December I'd sold 200,000 books and I just couldn't believe it it was just incredible and that's when I got seven new agents coming after me and that's when I was signed up by my third agent oh I mean and that I mean I just can't understand I mean I just can't oh, like no, that is just like <laughs> Oh my God, I just can't imagine that like ever they happening. They were coming to me. So they just... came to you. So they, what, what was that like? What were they ringing you up or were they emailing you? Emailing then and obviously messages on social media because it was Twitter was the one. It was just lovely. It was such a nice social place Twitter was. So yeah, I'd have a lot of people. And then yeah, I had most, most of the emails and the agent I, I, um, I got taken on by, she, yeah, actually it was all emails. Come to think of it, it was all emails. And did you go and meet them? Did you sort of have to pick which one? I met three and chose one from them, yeah. So I, I met three. One came down to Stoke to see me and then I went up to London to see two on the same day. 
And then, uh, yeah, that's all of me from Stoke going to London. I was petrified of London back in 2010. Now, before the pandemic, it's my second home and it still looks at will be this year. But, and uh, and you're still to chatting to everyone. That's not, that's the main yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah so so and it's like so you had your agent um so then that that then took you into the traditional world which the tradition which is what you kind of had always really wanted so how so you you've been sort of part of that world uh well I think for 10 years now um how has that how has it been and was it everything you thought it would be I, I suppose it's 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 a tale of two hearts really because I was published by Thomas and Mercy in 2014. They took Taunting the Dead and they took another uh, two of my or well, three of my books, um, and they don't get books in shops. They were predominantly email, sorry, email ebooks. So I didn't have a lot of print copies sold, and obviously I never saw them in the shops. But they were really really hot on on ebooks, and obviously I was an ebook author, so that was really really good. And then I went with Booktube, they were another ebook author, sorry, ebook publisher. And then I went with Avon, which is part of HarperCollins, and I had four books with those, and those were the ones that got out into the shops. And yeah, it's it's lovely seeing your books out on in, in the wild, and the quality of the books are much, much superb. But it's only for a short period of time, and sort of, you know, then they're on to the next one in the shops so if you don't go into the supermarkets now as well sometimes your book can die completely because nobody sees it and it's sad because i you know i, I live in, in in stoke there is one bookshop in the whole of the city there's six little towns but there's one bookshop which is waterstones which when i first went into there was told we don't deal with amazon we don't deal with amazon that was when i was trying to get my thomas and moose books in there um but by popular request they they ordered some in and then when my um, Avon Parker Collins books came out the traditional way through the system that they could order in, they, they now they now stopped in there and I've had book launches and everything in there since. So it was a bit of like a, a double-edged sword. I, I got this traditional deal with the advance and, and you know everything and, and books and audio, but they didn't get them in the shops. And then I got the, the next one which did get them out in, in the shops. Mm. So, and was it, what did it feel like to sort of be working um, as part of a team and having an agent? And because that's sort of what a lot of people imagine writing, you know, you sit there, you discuss your ideas and then they go off, the, you know, and, so, and was it like that? Was it, was it everything you could imagine it to be? Or was it sort of slightly different, especially when you've been so used to doing it on your own and working with all different types of people? I think it was everything I imagined it would be, but I think it came too late because I'd already sort of like learn my trade and, and done a lot, lot of books like that but the, I think they're, they're very very much two different things with myself publishing I have my own team my copy editor my proofread developmental editor um, I have um, my cover designer and all sorts of things like that um, so I have to book all those in and make sure that they're all in so project manage that but it's, just, it's, it's the same with, with the Avon team they literally um, they held my hand through everything but I just had to write the books and send it off and they did the rest. But I still had the, the same sort of things. I still had the, the, the feedback from a structural editor and a copy editor and a proofread. And they were the ones who said the final say on, on the cover, which was something that I sort of didn't like and sort of had to have, okay, you know, you, you know best and they do. 
but they were sort of things that I struggled with because I wanted my own cover and my own title and, and things like that. But they know their market and I know mine. So it was trying to get me out into the paperback world rather than the, the, the ebook world. So I respected what they were doing. And it is like having two separate teams. It is real good teamwork. They've got the, the PR team, which I think a lot of the time now we end up doing our own PR because they're. Uh, their avenues are getting smaller and smaller because the supermarkets are taking less and less books and the shops are taking less and less books. So, and the audience has vastly grown because of ebooks. So there's way more, you know, authors waiting to be published. So in that respect, there's two 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 different teams there. But I learned a lot from them editors. All all the editors I've worked with, and every single editor I've worked with has shown me something different. And I've I've really enjoyed that to the point now where. I feel quite confident when I write a first, first draft and it probably sounds a bit conceited, but I know when I've got a book, it doesn't necessarily mean every reader will like it because I touch on quite a few um, su subjects that people don't, you know, that either hit them too hard or, or you know, they don't agree with. With I, I do touch on a lot of social issues. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a real learning curve. Mm. And and also you've been so generous with what you've learned because say for me listening to you and I I actually got in touch with you again apologies for the stalking but I um, <laughs> I no message because your story because it resonated and I just I thought what I was I just thought what I was going through was just because you know I was rubbish to be honest and then you hear what you had gone through and you shared this but also you've learned so much and it's fascinating because obviously there's still it's quite hard to explain the traditional world is so is what sort of most people know but the self-publishing world now is it's not anymore just because you've been rejected it's it's a world that is it's like basically working for yourself isn't it and it's working yes. for yourself yeah. but but and with all the the pros and cons but it, it's a huge world I mean you, you, you're I mean you've sold 1.8 million books there's not many traditional uh, you know, just traditionally published authors who have sold 1.8 million books. I mean, it's no. just, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, completely incredible. It really is. So I, I have to thank you so much for sharing everything you read and being such an inspiration. Oh, you're, welcome. you're welcome. I enjoy it. Yeah, it is amazing. And going to the subject, right, so you do your women's fiction and you do your crime books. Now, you were saying earlier you didn't like, you don't like blood. <laughs> but clearly no. you do write quite a lot and you write really gritty stuff my husband um is is very much into crime crime journalism and i know the fascination that comes with it we're all fascinated by crime for whatever reason and is that one of the reasons why you do love writing your crime yeah i think i think you have to have a sense of justice in any any bit that you do anyway but there's also an urgency when you're writing it to actually find out what's going on and the reader can work out all the clues with you which which is what i think they like as regards to the, the, the crime element and the, the violence element of it, I think I must take myself out of it because I don't ever, and I, I, I am a minimal person, I want you to imagine it yourself or read it off a page basically when it com comes to the crime. But what I like doing is being with the family of the victims and also being with the killers. And, and, and why did they do it? And, and how has it affected this family member? And also has it snowballed into somebody doing something wrong and then somebody else does something wrong and then somebody else does something wrong and it can be even worse than it starts off with. So I like to, to be with the families as much as the, the, the police side of things. So I'm not actually a traditional, what they class as a police procedural because they will be with, if you watch Viva, they will be with the police all the way through. Um, I go I go back to the family, so sometimes the reader will know things before the police do. 
and that's quite hard to write because I have to remember that actually they know that and, and sometimes I've, I've realised as I've gone through a book alley you don't know that yet you need to you know, to, to get that out but I also liked like picking up one family and, and showing you whether that family's gritty or whether they're nice or even the victim of a family and I've got a book called Good Girl and it was um, a book basically about uh, two girls who were 16 they are walking home one night and one of them gets killed on the alleyway right next to where they live and their mum and dad their mums are best friends and live opposite each other and i wanted to have i wanted to show how it would affect that mother and how it would affect that mother because one child went out and one child didn't come back mm. and i found that felt really emotional to write and that is one of my best reviews books because of that so even though i write dark crime it's got an emotional pull with it and i think that's probably coming from the women's fiction that i've always wanted to write i want to show that emotion of the crime not just just the crime so the violence for me i can be quite hard hitting but i want you to imagine it rather than um, read about it. I'm not gratuitous. You know, you'll get half a page of, of something, and I struggle to watch it on the TV. I, I cannot watch violence. I will. I will just go. If there's something on the telly, I'll or I'll go and sit in the other room and, it, and let Chris watch what he wants. <laughs> Chris watch I, it. Yeah, yeah. I cannot watch things, and he'll just go. He gets mad with me sometimes. You can write it, but you can't watch it. So I must detach myself from it when I when I write. This is obviously there's this little person inside me that's evil. That's <laughs> not me. Yeah, you probably were taking those disused cars off yourself and like sorting it out, you know. But yeah, I mean, it goes to show you that because obviously you've got so much empathy and I know you do. And, the, you know, that showed when you were the housing officer and you're going into mm -hmm. families. So you, this is obviously the, the kind of, it, this shows how you're, like you started off as well, that you wanted to be a nurse. And it's odd, mm. isn't it, how it all comes together because you didn't like blood. Okay, fair enough. That's not going to help being a nurse. But then yeah. you obviously care about people. You did the housing officer work. You saw that side of life. But now by writing the books that you're doing and the two, and also with the Marcy Steele books as well, you've created a world where you're actually doing everything you love, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And as well, I suppose going back to the time when my mum and dad, dad split up and I felt like I was um, ab abandoned by my father. Maybe that's why I write about families all the time because mm. I want their, their families to be okay. So it's a nice way of rounding up something, even though there is a murder in there, or like with the Marcy Steele one, the baby, a, a death in the family or something, but they, they all come out okay at the end. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's sometimes that that empathy in, inside me that I know what they're going through and I want them to be happy, even though they are a bit of a scally or whatever. You know, you want everybody, I root for that underdog all the way through the book. So I want to show you sometimes why that, that killer is doing what he's doing rather than or do you know as she or he um rather than just a, a plain murder mystery where they just literally go with the police all the way through and you find the killer it's great to do that and i do do that but i do like to go off on a tangent and figure out why they did it and get into the minds of them and are they you know are they are they pleased that they killed somebody or was it just an accident or was it something an accident and now they enjoy it you know god forbid but you know it, it, them, them sort of things that I quite like and, and, and the why, why on earth does somebody go out and, and, and kill somebody? It's just, it's so scary you know, mm. to think do that, so. Mm. Again, but like you said there, you're rooting for the underdog and that's what you spoke mm. about when you were talking about the housing officer. So it's it's obviously still something in you. So, and also yeah. you're very nice to me and I'm the underdog at the moment in publishing. So I'm very grateful. <laughs> Um, so uh, so to move on then to be continued so now this actually your to be continued is kind of starting now isn't it because I think as <clears throat> this podcast goes out Broken Promises mm -hmm. is 
coming out into the world. So this, but this, so you're now going back to the self, you're, you're going back to that world for a bit. I am, yes. I've, I've noticed over the past two or three years that um, serial crime has become big on, on Kindle again. And I always liked that first series that I did. But I made so many rookie errors when I when I first did it. I, I emulated Martina Cole and LaPlante. And there was a, a lot of other people in there rather than me. Of course, I got get my voice in there. But I, there was a lot of swearing in there because I really wanted to be this gritty author. And I thought by putting swearing in, that's showing the character. You know, now I know different and totally know how to portray characters and things. And I was always like, I loved them first three books, but I was quite a bit embarrassed about them. They were too gritty. Yeah, I'm a working class girl and I work and I'm a working class city. I, I write about my working class city and I write working class characters. And people enjoyed that, but I thought they were just a bit too, too gritty. So when I, um, I decided to get my books back, when they'd been published for six years, I asked if I could have the rights back and they said, yes. Yeah. So I re-edited them and I took all that out. The story is exactly the, the same and they read so much better now that I thought I'm going to try everybody. The only books that people ask me for are the estate series and Ali Shenton. So I thought I'm going to try one. So I got an idea for, for one for several years now. So I thought I'm gonna, gonna, gonna do that one. So that's Broken Promises. And I've got two more ideas for another two. And I just thought I'm gonna try this series now, see if it goes. Um, I don't know if it's gonna take off again because, or even people will read it again because it's seven years since the last one came out. But I just wanted to go on my own again. Yeah, it was nice to have my own cover and my own title and to actually write the book how I wanted to. And then I've had editors to, to look at it afterwards and I, I've, I've enjoyed, enjoyed it. It's, it's scary, it's scary going back to being on my own and doing this again, but I am looking forward to it. And at the moment it seems to be getting quite, you know, an okay reception. No readers are ready yet. I've got early readers coming back to me, but uh, it's always nice to read that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased that Ali's back. So. But again, that's really, I mean, that's so brave and it, but it's not brave. But it's also, well, it is brave, but it's also um, so inspiring because you, you know you wanted always the traditional world and you could yeah. you could stay in that and i know from when we've spoken before i know you could stay in it but this is really your choice to do it and it's it's very easy to just go along again with what people think oh well, surely you should be doing that but you obviously feel that this is the right thing for your for you to do and you're listening to yourself which is which is yes, amazing definitely. yeah i do think i actually like to um Listen to, listen to my heart, listen to my heart, really. I, I just felt like I wanted to have a go on my own again and, and just see if I could get this series going. And and I, as you know, I, I always like writing as Marcy Steele. I may eventually go for the traditional deal as a women's fiction author um, and then carry on doing the, the Kindle direct publishing along the, along the side. But I feel like Malshare is, is, is a business now and I want to have a go at, at developing that business along my lines for, for a while and I don't know I might put three books out and it might completely flop and then I'll go on to something different but at the moment I'm really enjoying it and, and I think that is you know one of the big things about it I'm enjoying my writing again um, and I'm just going to see where this year takes me. Mm, how exciting how exciting because you also talk about writing under other pen names as well don't you so so this is your to be continued is going to keep I'm going to have to keep coming back to you Mel because I think you're going to have many many next chapters. Yes, I think so. Yeah, like I said, I've got an idea for, oh, I've got three ideas for more women's fiction books. And I do fancy in the future trying to do some like a how to write series, like a non-fiction series as well. So I do feel I'd like to give back do, doing that. And, you know, like I said, it's always nice to, I always feel a bit iffy about getting people to pay for writing advice because 
you know, why would they, A, why would they want writing advice off me? And then I feel like I'm ripping authors off. But I ought to actually, people pay me for my fiction books. And I, you know, so why don't I give some advice out and, and see how it goes? So I've been plotting a series for quite a while. I've got 25,000 words of a book, a how to write book that's been there since 2014, I think. Um, and I was going to have a writing business, but I, I never actually got the time to have the writing business. I think it was the thing that was, if my writing fiction doesn't work, then I can do the writing business and the fiction hasn't not, not worked yet. So I always it? say, yes, I always say, I, I really should be starting that because it's like, it's nice to have something evergreen. I'm, I'm 55 now, so I don't want to write forever and I want to plan the next, I'm planning the next 10 years now as, as, to, as to what to do. So it would be nice to get something that's evergreen rather than books because once books have been out a bit, um, people will keep finding them, but not forever. So, you know, I, I can see now some of my older books don't sell as much as they did five years ago because there's so many new authors that have come out in the five years. But if somebody finds me, they'll sometimes gobble up the whole lot, which is... Such, such, such an honour. So, but I feel like I also want something evergreen to help other, other writers as well. Yeah, well, I would definitely buy it. I, I mean, <laughs> I believe me, I'd buy it. Just on that note, before we move on to your acknowledgements, I was having this discussion with some friends yesterday. Now, say so if someone's listening to this and they do want to start writing books or, you know, they know they really want to do it, and A, they feel nervous too, because like I say, they haven't been to, you know, they haven't done university and whatever, all of that. But also, like what you say about finding the time, because this is always the issue about, hang on, I haven't got the time. What do you say to somebody who says they really do want to write books, but then they say, I can't find the time? Then you really don't want to write books. Because you will find the time no, ma no matter what. It is, like I say, your first book is just so so scary because you don't know if you've got it in you you just have to finish and and that's why my writing book could be called start right now because you have to start and you have to continue and even if you just write you know i was never an ad age of the or write a bit every day and, and, but i am now because i feel it keeps you in the story and if i don't write for a couple of days i can lose the story completely and have to go back a bit and then that makes more time for me but i do feel that you just need to keep doing just bit by bit even if it's 500 words a day and just it, it's like you know it's like a, an exercise machine you have to exercise your muscles all the time to keep writing and keep and keep going and for people who say well you know I, I haven't got the time you haven't got the the necessary need to write a book yet uh, same with me when I was younger in my 20s like I was saying I'd write for six months I'd send some letters out get some rejections and stop writing for a year and then I do it again when I was unhappy or, or, or even sometimes when I was happy, I think, yeah, I'm going to do this now. It never left me. It, it took me a while and all the rejections took me even longer, but it never left me. And I always, always found some time for it. So I think if you if you're saying you haven't got the time, you're not ready to write that book yet. It's not necessarily saying that you're never going to write one, but you're not ready yet. Okay. Now, so thankfully you were ready and you did, you've done just amazing. So along your amazing journey, your acknowledgements, who would you like to thank? Well, the definite one would be Tally Rowland, who I was talking about earlier on, because she was the one who um, sat down. It was it was quite a funny experience because I'd been net, networking on high heels and boot deals and I'd been invited to a book launch in London at the Oxo Towers and we would have an afternoon tea with a couple of authors and then we were going down um, on a 
a, a riverboat to the Tower of London and having a book launch in there. And I've been invited to this, and I've never been to London on, the, on my own before. And I was like, there's no way I can go, but I really want to go. So I was quite friendly with Tally, Tally Rowland at the time. And I just said to her, she lives in London. She says, I said, do you want to come with me? She goes, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll come with you. So we met for lunch, and we met on the South Bank. And it was pouring down with rain. So we just ended up having this big, long lunch. And that's when she said to me, you need to self-publish. I've just put a couple out on under a pen name because we've all got these books in the, in the drawer under the, under the bed, and um, you need to you need to um, have a go. And I've just done this so I can show you how to do it. So she did me covers for me. She read the books for me, um, and that gave me the confidence then to go and do it. So I I always say to her now, you know, she was the one who started my journey. I thought she always says, well, you're the one who wrote the books. So yeah. it's one of them things. But yeah, tally. Um, and how did you meet her? Did you meet her through your blog? I think I met her on Twitter wow. or, or on my blog. I may, I may have eventually, because I can bear in mind it's 10, 11 years ago. I either interviewed her for something uh, on the blog or I met her on Twitter because the writing community just exploded on Twitter in 2010, 2011. And, and that's when I, I met most of the people I, I know now. So there's another couple as well. Like Caroline Mitchell is a friend I've known for five years. She was very much like you, Ali. She stalked me. Ah, yeah, <laughs> she, listen. She yeah. was. The at, best do, um, Mel. The best do. She was at London Book Fair in 2015. And I'd been just chatting to her in the background a bit. And I was doing the, doing the panel, waiting to, to speak. And I saw her in the audience before the panel started. And I waved. And she turned around because she didn't think I was thinking at it. And she says, oh, it's me. She says, oh, she, that's her story that she tells now. But yeah. And I, I sort of quickly jowled, very much jowled with her. And uh, she obviously is an ex-police officer, so she, she helps me with my police procedural work. So even though I t try to keep it very, very real, she'll just tell me them little tiny little details that, you know, just readers wouldn't know, but, but, I, I, but I know. And, and she'll just help me every now and then if I say, can I do this or can I do this? And then I think, if I can't do that, I'm going to have to go back to the beginning and, and, and work it out. And uh, LJ Ross, Louise Ross, is a real good friend of mine now. She's such an inspiration. Um, she's just gone phenomenal. She started in 2015. I think she's sold seven million books. Got her own publishing company now, and two children along the way. And she's she's just such a role model. But she's a lovely person as well. She's she's really nice. I've done quite a few panels with with her. And now there's you, Ali. Because you oh, stop it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Listen, I still be your stalker any day. I'm very happy. I'm very happy doing it. But it's it's an honour. But you have you've been so because we have met before this, and that was lovely. When I did, you asked my husband. I was like, Oh my, I'm gonna meet Mel Sherrod. And uh, I was like, Oh nervous. Oh, you won't get rid of me. You know that though. Um. So your tips and advice. So if some so we talked about their writing, but tips and advice for somebody listening to this. So something even if it's not writing, something that people are thinking. Look, do you know what? Deep down. I know I really want to do this. But what, you know, you don't know, like you, because you started off one way and you've done it a different way and now you've come back to your own way. You've absolutely created your world. You you work in Stoke. You can live there in your lovely home. You know, you've created this, what you thought you couldn't do growing up in Stoke-on-Trent and you've, you've absolutely done it. So what would you say to somebody who feels that they just don't know where to begin? What should they do? I think the main thing I always say is experiment because you have to fail sometimes to, to find to find the way that you're going. Um, I 
um, I had some terrible covers when I first started, for example. So I've changed the covers quite a few times now. I changed the keywords all the time and the categories and things. But there's also, so, so you know, you need to find your way and stop looking at everybody else's way and making, you know, I'm at chapter 27 where somebody else is at chapter one and they're looking at me and thinking, how, how, how do I get there? But I had to do chapter two, three, four, five and six all, all the way up myself. And sometimes it's a case of just doing it and seeing if it works and if it doesn't work, try something else. For instance, um, if you if you want an agent, go and get an agent. If you don't want an agent, there's plenty of publishers that you can go to direct now. You don't have to st stick to the same genre. You don't even have to stick to the same name. You could try something. You could write to market if you want to. You don't have to write to market. There, there's so many things that you can can do. Um, and everybody, if you if you talk to a writer, if you have four or five writers around the table, you would get four or five different answers as to how they write, how they write the books, how they how they research the books. Have they got an agent? Did not work with an agent? Have they self-published? Have they traditionally published? I think you just need just to do it, and then if it doesn't work, you failed, but you've learnt by that, and you do something next time better. And do you think that applies away from writing as well? So if somebody's got a love for fashion or if they've got a love for interiors or they love history and they perhaps would like to do something with that somehow, you know, whatever it may be, do you think the same rules apply to, to any kind of area of interest? Yes, I do, because at the end of the day, we've all got some passion. My passion is writing. So whether that's going to be teaching and writing is my next chapter um, or, or continuing to, to write, write the books, I think... There's a massive big world out there in, in online courses. So there's so many online courses that people can, can do and, and actually make a living out of doing that with one of, one of their passions. Or they can write non-fiction books and, and, and things like that. Or even if you're going into the fashion industry and something doesn't work, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Something next might work. I've had books that um, have flopped and I haven't done as, as well as I thought, of, thought they'd do. And I've had other ones that have done 10 times better than I think you, you genuinely don't know until you actually do it but if you don't do it you'll never know no and you did it also around a full-time job and that's the other thing as well sometimes you, you can't wait to finish you can't wait for the right time can you it's like you're saying about finding the time to write you can't always wait you just basically have to do it yeah you have to sometimes do a side hustle for a while and if your side, side hustle starts bringing you some money and that's when you you know, you, you figure out, okay, get six months salary and, and, and try. The the good thing about Stoke was the, the salaries weren't that good. So I could actually leave a job, but I would never have left a job because I needed to pay my mortgage and I would always want that, that cushion because I wasn't earning any money from the writing. And until I was earning money from the writing, there was no way I was ever going to stop. Luckily for me, I got my, you know, I got my kick with my, my redundancy money, which didn't last forever, but, but lasted long enough. But if you can do some sort of side hustle and you realise that actually take, do four days a week, uh, the, the, the main job and do an extra day, take three days and then just work it down, go part time, which is what I did for a while and then went back full time when it didn't work. I did that twice. I, I did job share twice thinking I'm going to, second half of the week, I'm going to get me writing out and it didn't work. So I ended up going back. You know, getting full-time jobs again and I felt like I failed then but I hadn't it was just another another chapter it's the next chapter you have to keep taking 
that next step. And when you think back to when you were that little girl, where you felt sort of mm-hmm. you know very lost, and you thought there's no, you thought oh, I'd love to be an author. When your you know mum's friend said when you were eight, what do you want to do? You know, and then here you are now, and I'm interviewing you in your fabulous study with all your the, I love your books in the in the background. Um, but you think now, but and you've sold 1.8 million books and created oh. this amazing world. I mean. I mean, can you can you even believe that now? When you think to ha- if you can go back to that moment there when you were a child to now, look at look at where it's taken you. I know, and I kind of think I wish I wish the Kindle had come out ten years earlier, so I could have done this ten years earlier. But I do think it's the the more the older you get, the more experience you have at life, the more you can put into books. And I was reading something in the the bookseller this morning. There's a big article about women's fiction coming back into fashion again because obviously it went out you know as the vampires and the, the fifty shades of grey and the detectives thing the women's fiction because people want feel good fiction now and i just feel that you know some opportunities you have to have a bit of life experience i can't write about a 20 year old i can think about one and i can have a little um, you know character who's 18 as i was in today's world but I, I can't do like some of the books of the 21 year olds 25 year olds going out on, on tinder and dates and stuff like that but I can show you how a woman in the 50s feels and I can tell you how she is in the menopause or I can tell you how she's feeling if she's got children and grandchildren and looking after a mother and she's you know, the piggy in the middle and, and that person in the women's fiction element of it. So in that way, I think life experience sometimes, I'm glad it's happened now, but I still wish it had happened 10 years earlier. But it's one of them things isn't it? you always wish what you haven't had well, you wanted it to start in 1999 like everything <laughs> yes, else that's what yeah. you wanted but look Marcia, you i'm so happy that it did work out the way it did because it meant yeah. our meant our um, paths cross and it's just been amazing you're such an inspiration to me and i'm sure you're going to inspire so many people thank you so much for being such a fabulous guest on the next chapter oh you're very welcome ali it's been great fun thank you so there you are what did you think of that now i think you can probably see why i'm so inspired by mel i have learned and continue to learn so much from her i took from that that we just have to try and keep trying until we find our own way also if there's someone whose story is inspiring you and what you want to do well why not get in touch i never believed i would be having conversations with mel like this when i messaged her and now i'm so proud to be able to call her my friend If you want to learn more about Mel, her books and her latest Broken Promises, you can go to her website, melsherritt.co.uk. The link is in the show notes. You can find out about me and my next chapter at elliebarkerwrites.com. And I would so love it if you got in touch and let me know what's happening with you. You're listening to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker, a flower pot production. I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, keep trying. And why not get in touch with that person who's inspiring you? Go on. Who knows what will happen next? Speak soon.